Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. As we're starting to wind down to close out this season and, you know, the last episode, we were talking about doing some reruns and it it took me so long to kind of just like to go back through and to listen to some particular episodes. And this episode was an episode back in season one. Um, You know, it's funny because I listened to this episode back in season one more than once, even in the beginning of season two, but I haven't listened to it in about like a year. So I listened to it for the first time um, in the past week. And it was season one, episode 17, the founder of Azon Profit System, Greg Caesar, the creative marketer. And it just kind of blows my mind. First and foremost, I mean, Greg is still that animated of a creative marketer till this day. And just, you know, being part of his communities and seeing what he's doing and what he has done and what he's achieved is just miraculous. And I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to, to replay this episode, because it's like, this episode is so evergreen, but there's so many jewels and so many nuggets in, and Greg does it so effortlessly, right? I mean, he does it with no effort whatsoever. He just kind of just speaks, and then the information just kind of flows through him. I mean, we talked about, like, copyright. We talked about marketing. We talked about being creative. Other things we talked about in this particular episode that's just, you know, I had asked him a question, and his response was, you know, he got tired of being broke and it was just kind of like that was his awakening moment. That was the moment that kind of got him to to, to jump on the bandwagon and start creating wealth and start establishing himself. It was just it was just interesting. I mean, he, he kind of, you know, grew up broken and he was like, I'm not going to be broke anymore. Right. So it, it is it's one of these things for business owner, entrepreneur, um, founder is like the, the, the opportunities are there. Right. So, again, you just have to kind of seize these opportunities and, and make them work for you. So. I'm going to rerun this episode just because I think it has so much value. And, you know, you can kind of hear me and my speech pattern is completely different than what it is right now on the show. I mean, I I didn't realize that I've changed that much over the past two years as far as a podcast host. I mean, obviously for the better, but, you know, just starting off, I was like, damn, I wish I could redo this episode with Greg. I'm probably going to contact him because I'm just a better host. I'm just a a better interviewer than I was two years ago, rightfully so, because I've been in the game long enough and I've interviewed, you know, few hundred people at this point. So, and he was only my 17th interview. So it's definitely a night and day difference, but still the value that he delivers and he just carried that episode. I mean, I, 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 I definitely want to say thank you to him because, you know, obviously in season one, being as green as I was and, and having such a high profile individual on the show was definitely um, something that helped me. I, I think it was, it was one of those episodes that opened my eyes to say like, wow, I could actually do this. And not only could I do this, but I can have people that can kind of deliver so much value to help other people on their journeys. And this episode was kind of like that landmark episode for me coming into really becoming a podcaster. I mean, once I got to episode 17, it was like, all right, cool. I don't even know how many episodes I'm going to have this season. I was worried about my next person I'm going to interview, how I'm going to get the next person. And where we are right now with Boston Cage is so night and day different from that two years ago. It just makes me, you know, kind of look back and, and, and want to pay my respects and pay my dues to, to the people that came before me and the people that are going to come after me in, in this podcasting game. And so without further ado, um, 
you know, essay grant moving forward, man. I just want you guys to, to really listen to this episode. If you've never heard it before, it's the first time hearing it. I think you'll definitely get value from it and you'll drop me a line, drop me some, uh, some insight, you know, leave a review. Let me know what your thoughts are on this particular episode. And keep in mind, I think, you know, we're going to close out this season at the end of this month. So we only got two more episodes left and then we're going to go in right into season four. So essay grant moving on. Welcome. Welcome back to the show. Boss Uncaged. On today's show, we got a special guest, my man, Caesar. How you doing today, sir? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing well. So I guess the first thing, it's you're like an industry marketing legend that that kind of just walks in the shadows and pops up when you want to and pop in and out. And um, that's the way I kind of met you. You know, I kind of met you through Ty Cohen's uh, event and you were just in the back of the room having a conversation, talking to people. And you had a group of people just huddling around you and you're just giving out jewels. And I was like, who is this guy? (laughs) So that's my first question to you. I mean, who are you? Okay. Yeah. So my name is Greg Caesar. I've, I've been in the game. Boy, I started consulting people in 1997, 1998 timeframe. Wow. And uh, so I've seen the full evolution of where the internet was to I was there when Google got started. I mean, when Yahoo was around and um, around 2002, 2003 timeframe, I decided, hey, you know what? I'm helping people. This time I help myself. So I decided, let me start creating products and selling products versus just consulting. Mm-hmm. And I just got really good at selling products. Since then, I've sold ebooks and courses in over 100 different countries. I spoke on stages all over Europe, UK, Malaysia, Singapore, Jamaica, and all over the United States. Mastermind with some of the most brilliant people. And uh, it's been a fun ride. It's great to see where it's been to where it is now and and excited about where it's going in the future. Great, great. So if you had to define yourself in three to five words, what words would those be? Oh, man, it'd be easy. Creative, creative, creative. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm going online as the creative mark, even when I'm talking to some really high level marketers. One thing they always say is, damn, you always come up with something that I would never think about. <laughs> and so I like thinking out of the box. In fact, you know, when I'm speaking out on stages and I ask people, you know, are you an out of the box thinker? And everybody raises their hands. I respond with the problem is you're still thinking next to the box, even though you're out of the box. If you ask me the same question, my answer is what box are you talking about? Got it. Got it. Don't even see the box. So. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, just define your business a little bit more. I mean, you're saying marketing, but I mean, marketing has a lot of factors, right? A lot of avenues, a lot of roads. And what specialty are you in? Okay. So I'm basically right now, I do two things. One is helping businesses. So if there's a business that needs to expand their sales, grow their business, I will teach them and help them do that. Uh, 90 to 95% of the businesses out there are doing it absolutely wrong and they don't understand that. And then the other piece is helping entrepreneurs who want to get started in the internet marketing game and helping them understand the process. How do you find a winning product to sell? What markets you want to go after? And how do you build that? And for most of them, they aren't coming from, you know, a stack of money. So how do I do that and do that affordably? And how do I use direct response marketing strategies to be able to do that? Which is an art form in itself. Forget about having to Come up with the ideas, but how do you use direct response marketing? Because as an entrepreneur in a small business, branding is too hard. So you need sales and you need as much sales as, as fast as possible. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we've been in, on the conference call for like 10 minutes and you already dropped some nuggets already, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
how did you get into that line of business? I mean, what's your road to get there? So I think I was born a marketer. I remember as a kid, you know, I went to Catholic school and they used to give us a box of chocolate to go sell. And you have, you know, 60 days to sell like two or three boxes of chocolate. And it would be the 59th of day and I hadn't sold one yet. Hmm. And so now I got to go to the Dunkin' Donuts to stand out front. And in a day, I'd have my whole box sold. Where everyone else, it took them the whole 60 days and they were struggling. And that's because even when I talked to people, I understood nobody wanted to buy chocolate. So my question wasn't, hey, do you want some chocolate? Because your answer is going to be no. My question was, hey, can you help support our school? Nice. And nice. the chocolate was just a vehicle to get that support. So even as a kid, I knew the right language to use. And so coming out of college, I bought my first product online, which was a course by uh, Marshall Silver, Passion, Profit, and Power. Nice. And so I was studying him and what he was doing and decided, you know, I want to do this. So although my goal was to come out of college, get a corporate job and move up that ladder, at this point, I started realizing that there was something else there for me. And uh, fast forward a couple of years, I just had a boss one day who said to me, when I tell you to do something, you do it. Mm. The dream that I always had at that moment, I realized I was unemployed. I wasn't designed to work for someone else. So it was a few months after that, I quit my job, started a business, had to turn in the company car, and was terrified. Terrified. In 97, there weren't webinars and podcasts that we could learn oh, from. Hell no. <laughs> so not. it was trial and error. But I'm going to tell you what, when you do something that you love, what happens is the money will follow. And I didn't understand what that meant because people used to say that all the time. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is when you're doing something you love, you're not doing it for the money. And because you love it, you keep doing it. And eventually you start to get good enough that money starts to follow. See, when you're doing something you don't love, you're not going to stick around long enough to get good at it and you're never going to get paid for it. So now because of the knowledge I've acquired, people pay me to come see them and fly across the country and help them out. So that's how I got started. Wow. Wow. So I think one of the big nuggets that you just brought up to, I think a lot of people just don't understand is copy and having the right copy. You could put a million dollars behind something, but if the copy sucks, you're not pretty much going to sell anything, right? hundred percent. How did you like develop your copy skills currently right now? Was that something that just kind of just, you knew right away or you kind of just grew into that over a period of time? You want the true story? True story. You're going to laugh at this. <laughs> Coming out of college, I thought I was going to be a rapper. <laughs> Okay. I was part of a rap group. It was me, my cousin, and a couple friends. And we were actually pretty good. And I wrote all the lyrics. And when I graduated from University of Connecticut, I had gotten a, a job. But in the evening, we would go to the studio to make music. And the studio producers liked what we were doing. And they signed us to a, a small contract. And we were locked in for five years. Okay. And literally 10 minutes after signing the contract, the studio producer said, okay, the other song that we were working on and I did all that extra work on, you guys got to pay me for it. Hmm. And it was four or $5,000. So where's a college kid going to get four or $5,000? So that literally was the last day we went to the studio. It was time to get serious about work. I dove my time into work. And when I got started in internet marketing, writing copy to me was writing a song. Because in that song, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, and you're telling a story. And the story is all of about an emotion that you want that listener to have. 
So when I got into internet marketing and I wanted to write the copy for my website, and I said, let me just tell the story. And I said, what's the emotion that I want them to have? What do I want them to see? And uh, part of it was like writing a song is you, you paint a picture in that listener's mind. They have to see themselves in the song. So when I'm writing a copy, my goal is for you to see yourself in that product. I want you to see the solution that that product is going to deliver for you. So let's say, for example, if I'm you know, writing copy for a back pain product, you know, your back hurts. You don't want the back gizmo. That's not what you want. You want to live pain free. So when I'm writing the copy, I'm describing what life will be like being pain-free. Imagine yourself taking a stroll with your significant other, holding her hands on the beach and not stuck at home while she's at the beach with the kids, hmm. right? And if you want that, then this product is going to help you do that. So your buying decision is not, are you buying this product? You're deciding, do you want to live pain-free? So I'm painting that picture in your mind. I guess now you see why I wanted you on a podcast, right? I mean, <laughs> we had lunch last week and we're sitting down and I just asked him like some random questions and he was just like spitting out these jewels. And I mean, I was, I was, I was like a lucky leprechaun with a bucket trying to catch all these little nuggets. And I was like, I got to get him recorded. It's crazy, man. So um, when you think about the 20 years that most people perceive to say, hey, I just came out of nowhere. They pop up there in the limelight. And then you find out their stories behind it is that it took them 20, 30 years to get to where they are. How long did it take you to get to where you are currently? Yeah, I always say I'm an overnight success. It only took me 10 years to get there. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, so I started my consulting business. It was around December 97, January 98. And we were selling a product called the National Direct Internet Yellow Pages. And I would say by July 98, the company flew me and my wife down to be in their infomercial. Nice. So I wasn't having huge success, but we were probably making, you know, 5000 a month, 10000 a month selling their product where everyone else was struggling. And there was a guy in the company, and I asked him one day, his name is Rich Esposito. I'll never forget that 20 years later. Uh, I said, how are you having so much success? Which, by the way, is another lesson. See, I could have tried to figure it out on my own, which I could have. Or I can find the guy who's doing it and say, how the heck are you doing it? And that's what I did. And he said to me, learn the power of the word no. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, tell them they can't have it and see what happens. Hmm. And I've never forgotten that lesson. So um, when I would go out and start selling, my philosophy wasn't, hey, I need your business. I need your business. I need your business. It was, hey, tell me about your business. Let me see if I want to take you on as a client. Hmm. Man, people didn't know what to do with themselves. They were like, what do you mean if you're going to take me on as a client? Well, this is what I do. Our product is perfect. So now they're selling me on why I should take them on, on as a client. Then I started networking with other people to get leads. So we started scaling pretty quick. When I got into the internet marketing side, even that was quick. And to be honest with you, it would have been even faster. The only thing that took me a while was my first product. I had the idea probably two years before I created it. And it was more analysis of paralysis and thinking it had to be perfect. So I spent a year and a half working on this thing and working on this thing. And I was still only six months, I mean, halfway in. And what ended up happening was my landing page had got indexed into Google and it was blank. So I said, holy crap, 
the rest of the stuff that I was going to put, the bonuses, the this, the that, I said, screw them. I'm going live on Monday. Two weeks later, we were making $4,000 a week profit. So I said to myself, oh my God, I just spent a year and a half trying to perfect this thing. And in two weeks, I went to four grand a week profit. Man, I'm not wasting time on stuff like this anymore. So success can be fast if you understand some basic principles. And then when you start building a list, it's even faster because once you have that list, you can launch a product. And in a day or two, you could have four or five figures coming in. Yeah, I mean, the whole listing was kind of an eye-opener for me. Like when I first, you know, it, there's two different stuff. People understand there's two different type of marketers, right? There's general, like, commercial marketers that market for, like, businesses. And then yeah. there's, like, professional marketers that actually do this on a grand scale for a living. And on one side, I was on the left side. And, you know, I've crossed over to the right side. So now I can see the vision of having a list is essentially the bread and butter of any marketer's basket, pound for pound, period. And you might have to give them some details about why that's so important. Yeah, believe it or not, whatever business you are in, it doesn't matter what product or industry or service that you sell, you're not in that business. The business that you should be in is building a list of people who have a similar problem. Your business then becomes monetizing that list with your solution. Mm -hmm. So if I am a personal trainer, my business is building a list of people who have fitness issues. If I own a restaurant, my list is building people who like to eat and go to restaurants. I'm going to monetize that list with food. I'm going to monetize that list with my personal training services. Everyone thinks what they should be doing is running an ad and selling a product or service, but then you don't have any way of getting the, the customer back in the door. Mm -hmm. So to give you an example, one of my clients is a restaurant in Stanford, Connecticut, and we did a contest on his website. And the contest was enter your name and email address. And if we pull your name out, you're going to win a free dinner for two. Nice. And then on the thank you page, we had, it said, hey, congratulations, you're now submitted. If you know anyone else who would be interested, tell them about the contest. If they win the contest, guess what? We'll automatically give you the free dinner also because you referred them to us. Mm. Man, did those people start selling their souls. They put everyone, their friends, their moms, their dads. And so our system would send an email that would say, hey, so-and-so said you might be interested into this contest. Why don't you come and register? We built a list of about seven or 8,000 people for this little restaurant in about six months. So one day the owner said, I want to test this list and see how powerful it is. So he, he took 20 names out of the list and he sent them an email and said, hey, come in tonight for dinner. And if you do, you're going to get a free glass of sangria. This was a Tuesday, which is a dead night for him. Yeah. Out of the 26 showed up. That's a 33% response rate. He only holds 40 seats, 45 seats in the restaurant. I said, dude, if you would have sent it out to all oh, seven or 8,000, you would have problems tonight. <laughs> yeah. So what did he do? A restaurant. He built a list. He monetized the list with food. Hmm. Man, it's all about the list, man. It's not about the product. It's about the list. Because let's say a year from now, you want to sell that business. A business with a list is worth a whole lot more than a business with no list. So... It's probably the most important activity you can do in a business is build that list. So when do you think it's a good time to start monetizing the list? And then when we had lunch the other day, we talked about this a little bit. So, I mean, what, where's that sweet spot to say, okay, I have 100, I have 500, I have 3,000. When is a good time to start monetizing? One, 
<laughs> if you, if you get one person on that list, email them. <laughs> you know, you don't want to wait for a couple of reasons because Dan Kennedy used to say, every time you don't message or email your list, you're losing 10% mind share. Mm. Or every week that you don't do that, you're, you're losing mind share. And it's true. Sometimes I'll sign up for a list and then, you know, a couple of weeks later, they'll send me an email and I'm like, who are these people again? Do I remember them? Then I'll search my Gmail to see, did they just spam me or did I fill something out that requested the information? And usually if I see that I was the one that initiated the contact, I'll say, okay, yeah, I did sign up, I'll keep it. So, but imagine if they had started emailing me then and there, mm -hmm. right? And we would have been building that relationship. And the key there is you're building the relationship. See, a lot of people are afraid of emailing their list because they say, oh, I don't want to bother them. And, mm. you know, they're busy. Here's the thing. If what you send them is a bother, they're not your target audience. Right? Sure. The example I like to give is, let's say you've got the cure for cancer. And you build a list of people who have cancer. And you say, I don't want to bother them. They're going to say, how selfish of you. You're not messaging us the information to save my life. What are you doing? Right? But what sure. happens if you email them talking about diabetes? They're going to say, why are you emailing me about diabetes? I don't have diabetes. I have cancer. Send me the cancer stuff. I need to live longer. I'm not worried about, you know, the sugar or whatever, you know, dessert that I'm not supposed to eat. So if you're talking to your people, they will want you to message them more. If it's the wrong audience, they're going to be bothered. You don't want to be in that position anyway. Hmm. That's definitely a serious golden nugget that you just dropped. And I don't think people realize that. I mean, I deal with some clients and the frequency of emailing has always been an issue with them. And they always think that once a month is okay. And I'm like, if you're not emailing at least once a day on a routine yeah. basis, you're wasting your time. Sign up for Oprah Winfrey's list and see how long it takes before they start emailing you. Oprah is every day. Boom, boom, boom. My wife went somewhere and she traveled on Spirit. Spirit sends an email out every day. Victoria's Secret, I bought my wife something out of the catalog. They send a catalog every week. They send an email every day. These are major, major organizations. Mm -hmm. And if they're doing it, Oprah understands her people are dying to hear from her, right? Who doesn't want to hear from Oprah? <laughs> You're right about that. Yeah, yeah. What would you have done differently to get to where you are a lot faster? I would say I would have started outsourcing um, more of my business sooner. Even though we were designing for clients, and I never designed a site. I always had some, a friend or somebody who would design the work, but I was still very involved in the day-to-day. -day. And it took me until 2004 to realize that I was the thing. I was the reason things were slow. And so I hired somebody who to answer the phones and do customer service. And that year was probably the first vacation I really took and enjoyed myself in the business. Cause before then I'd be on vacation and I'd be, I remember we were in Puerto Rico once and I'm on a pay phone, you know, calling back in the office. Hey, is everything okay? What's going, you know? And so until I hired someone to handle the customer service, I go on vacation. Now I'm not even checking email. I don't want to know. <laughs> so I would say that would probably be, one of the first things that I would do. The other thing is finding people that are already doing it. But again, when I started, that wasn't available. 
Mm-hmm. We didn't have people who were building websites and bringing in a million uniques a month on those websites. So I wouldn't have been able to do that. But today, if I had to start over today, the very first thing I would do is decide what am I going to sell? Who am I going to sell it to? And then I would go out and find somebody who's already doing it and say, let me pay you. Shortcut the process for me. Show me what I need to do. That would be the absolute first thing I would do. Because the other option is don't pay that person who's already doing it and figuring it out on my own, which may take, you know, six months to a year of trial and error. And, and I don't want to go through that. Yeah. And I don't want to go through that. Wow. Wow. So do you, I mean, you got the hustle in you. I mean, I can hear the passion in you right now and you've been in the game for a minute, for a minute now, right? Yep. So, yeah. So do you come from an entrepreneurial background? I mean, where's this edge coming from? No, nah, it's coming from poverty. <laughs> My dad came from Haiti back in the late 60s, um, was making a dollar an hour. But he was a smart man. Even though he was an immigrant, you know, I used to hear the stories from him about when he was in Haiti, he used to get on his bike at three o'clock in the morning and ride his bicycle 15 miles to get to work. And so when we were kids and I'd be like, Dad, I don't feel like going to work today. And not work, but to school. And he'd say, his exact words were, you can die right here, right now, and you're still going to go to school today. (laughs) So this was a dude who was like, no, you're going to school. And so I got work ethics from him. But growing up in in one of the poorest neighborhoods in Stanford, Connecticut, and seeing, you know, the rest of the population that was there, even though we didn't have money, but my dad had mindset. You know, he knew that poverty wasn't the thing that he wanted to keep doing. And coming from Haiti, even though we were living in the project, that was a hundred times better than what he had in Haiti. You know, using an outhouse in Haiti and things like that, not having running water, electricity a few hours a day. So when he came here, he had the mindset of, holy crap, I made it. So I grew up seeing that mindset of, man, we have abundance, even though compared to everybody else, (laughs) we had nothing. But we had running water, which is a luxury in Haiti. And so then when I was about seven or eight, this guy making a dollar an hour, I don't know what he was making by this point, saved his money and we bought a house. It was a three family house and he rented out the first floor and the third floor, but we moved out of the projects. And even as a kid, I knew, man, that's pretty impressive. So now I started going to Catholic school and at the Catholic school, I saw what other kids were living like, Hmm. even though we were in the school and had nothing, but some of these kids like in high school, they're coming in BMW, you know, uh, me, I had a car that was 200 bucks. My mom bought off of some guy. These guys are coming with BMW. So then I'd go home and we were living, you know, we'd go play basketball in the hood. So I get to see how kids living in the hood were living. And then I saw how rich preppy kids were living. So I saw the duality of both sides of the economic spectrum. And I was like, I love you guys. I'm having fun playing ball with you, but I don't want to live like that. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing how these dudes are living. I want to live like that. But the other thing I'll also tell you is in the seventh grade, I had a teacher, Mike Smeriglio. It's the only teacher I remember before eighth grade. Instead of reading Moby Dick, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, he made us read books like How to Win Friends and Influence People. Wow. Um, motivational books. So to all the teachers out there and people who have influence in young people's lives, you don't understand how much you influence a child, both positive and negative. 
So when he was making us read those books, I was absorbing it. And again, I think because I was born to be who I am, those books made me say, okay, there's more to life. So I always knew I wanted more. And then when I was in high school, while everybody else was hanging out, I had to go to work. So I was working at Foot Locker. I was working at another job and I had money in my pocket. You know, my boss used to say, why do we even pay you? All you do is put it back into the store. <laughs> so I always had the new Jordans. I always had the new sneakers, the new clothes. And there was a pride of being able to say, you know, I'm a sophomore in high school and I, I paid for that myself. And I still had 200 bucks left over in my check. So I felt like I was a millionaire, <laughs> right? So to me, I was like, I love that feeling. So I fell in love with having money. And once you fall in love with having money, you can't go back. <laughs> you know, right about that. You, you start to want to do everything you can to make more of it. So when I graduated college and, and I started my own business, I just wanted more. I wanted more. I wanted more. And it wasn't just wanting it. I went and got it. Hmm. A lot what of people you, just want it, but they don't go get it. What was your major in school? Initially, I was a marketing major. Okay. But I changed it. And I was sitting in, in one of my marketing classes one day and I said, you know what? If this dude knew anything about marketing, why is he here teaching it for thirty, forty thousand dollars a year? And it was that that was my last semester I took a marketing class. So I ended up going economics. Best thing I ever did, tell you the truth. But I didn't know it at the time. It was just pure luck. Um, my guidance counselor was the one that suggested I go into economics, and I did. Now economics is the study of data and numbers. And then you make decisions based off of that data. Mm -hmm. So economics taught me how to think. The other thing that they, all of economics is cost-benefit analysis. Everything. It's what's the cost of doing something? What's the benefit of doing something? And then you determine which is better for you. Is the cost higher than the benefit or is the benefit higher than the cost? And then you decide, man, I run my life that way. Everything I do, I decide, I do a cost-benefit analysis on. Should I do it or should I not? And here's the reasons why. And here's the reasons why not. And I decide which is more important. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I don't think people really understand the magnitude of what you just said. I mean, and I got this from you when we were at, at the Learn, right? Yeah. And you were just talking about how to select products. And you were saying, well, why would I even buy a product unless I know the product will sell first? 100%. And, and then you would do not just the research, but you would do the analytical research behind that product and see who is searching for it on Google currently. And then you would take that and say, okay, look, there's 10 million people searching for this information. That means they have a problem. This product is a solution. Put the two together and then equal success. 100%. People do it the hard way. They make a decision and they say, I'm going to sell a product. And then they create the product. They spend months doing it. And then they say, let me start marketing. Now, it could be organic marketing or it could be paid marketing. Six months later, they say, man, I haven't made any sales. I wonder why. <laughs> me, I do it the other way. First, again, using cost-benefit analysis, I say, is it going to be worth creating this product or not? What's the benefits? What's the cost of creating the product? And then I decide, okay, it's worth it. And part of that process is, is anyone making money with this product? And if they are, the next question is, can I get to where they're at? Once I know that, making the product is a mute point. It's just a logical conclusion. 
right? Mm-hmm. By this point, I already know I'm going to make money because I've already got all the pieces and the elements laid out. It would be equal to, let's say, you know, some plumber who has a million dollar business and the plumber says, well, here's my ad. And the only thing I do is I run it in the newspaper and here's the newspaper. I run it. I don't do any other marketing. Well, guess what? I could do a million dollar plumbing business also because I got 100% of the process. Most people started in reverse. I'll give you an example of something else I did. There was a magazine that called me once. They wanted me to advertise in the magazine. First question is, tell me about the publication. What's the reach? All this stuff. Again, cost benefit analysis. I say, well, why don't you send me a copy of the publication? Let me take a look at it. They send me the publication. Now, they think they're sending me a publication so I could just peruse through it and decide about whether I'm going to advertise. Nah, I started calling the advertisers in the publication. I started calling them. I said, hey, listen, I'm looking to run an ad in this publication. Tell me what kind of success rate have you had on it? How many leads do you generate? The first person I talked to was a graphic artist, and she told me that she was trading her services in exchange for a free ad in the publication. So she did the graphic layouts. They gave her a free ad. So she goes, I'm getting the ad for free and it's not worth it. Mm. I said, oh, thank God I called this lady. (laughs) So then I called the publication and said, hey, uh, sorry, but I'm not going to be advertising in your publication. But do you see how most people find out the publication is no good? They spend four grand. Mm. They don't get any leads. And then they say it's no good. I said, well, let me find out if it's any good. Then I'll spend the (laughs) 4,000. So cost benefit analysis. Everything you do should be a cost benefit analysis. Mm. I mean, it's like nature versus nurture, right? I mean, do you think that's a learned behavior or is it something that initially that you were just born with? No, that was economics, 100%. Got it. So, yeah. I mean, so technically anybody that would apply themselves could potentially learn that as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely some good insight. I mean, you got my mind turning and burning right now. <laughs> so another thing that I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, just a little bit more about your family life. I mean, how do you juggle your family life with your work life? So I will tell you, when I was in corporate, it was much harder because I was traveling. Um, They had me on a plane a lot of times. And my son, um, I just had a newborn son. So I was out of town a lot of his first year of life. Now, work for me is a choice. And, you know, I like to joke around and I say, you know what? You know, I don't wake up until I'm finished sleeping. And when I'm finished sleeping, then I wake up. So, and I seriously mean that. I'm not a morning person. (laughs) So I don't have an alarm. Usually if I'll set an alarm, it's the alarm will be set for the time where I I say, man, I really shouldn't be still in bed past this time. (laughs) That's the only time I'll set an alarm. It's like I was in Washington, D.C. and I had to get to the airport. So my alarm is set for if I hear this and it wakes me up, I'm in trouble. That means I'm running late. (laughs) So that's the only time I'll really set an alarm. For me now, um, like when my boys are in college now, they'll come home and, man, we'll be playing video games from like 10 in the morning till 3, 4 in the afternoon. Hmm. So I get to choose when I work, when I don't work. And even if it's something that I've really got to get done and there's a lot of things to do, I can do it. You know, I can wait till my wife falls asleep and then I'll go do it or I'll get it done before she comes home or I can outsource it. Hmm. Right. Like uh, right now, we've got a project we're working on, and, and we're going to be running some Google AdWords traffic to it. Guess what? I just hired a guy and say, hey, I, you know, I could do this myself, but I'm a little busy right now. Let me pay you some money to do it for him. 
And he's like, oh, yeah, I understand AdWords. I, I get that you understand it, but I want you to do it my way, this way, hmm. you know. So I'll give you the strategies, but you do it. So he's going to do all the legwork of it, so I don't have to do that. I just got to do the thinking part, which was not going to take 15 minutes, 20 minutes. His work is going to be hours. So the other aspect of it is let somebody else do the work. I would rather come up with a new idea or a new product to sell than sit there and actually do the work. That particular thing that you're talking about, right, it took me forever to realize that. And once I executed that, you know, I'd probably got probably 25 times the work done in yes. a fraction of the time, literally overnight. It seems like, you know, how is he doing all these things? But it's outsourcing and systems come yeah. into play and it makes you look like an octopus, right? So I went out one day and I bought a screwdriver set at Home Depot and I came home and my wife looks at me and goes, and what do you plan on doing with those things? <laughs> I said, babe, listen, I don't outsource because I'm lazy. Mm. I outsource because it guarantees it'll get done. <laughs> so the joke is, you know, I don't do any work, but I do. It's just, you know, I don't believe in doing hard work. Got it. Got it. That's a smart way of doing it, right? Yeah. So I think you alluded to this a little bit. I mean, what's your morning habits, your morning routines? Now, that's something I wish I can get a little bit more disciplined on. So when I look at the things that I do, and where my cogs in the wheel are is I got to be more consistent and more disciplined with the things that I do. Typically for me is I'll wake up in the morning and I'll reach for my phone and I may listen to a, whether it could be a podcast or it could just be some music just to wake my brain up. Yeah. Then I'll go and get dressed and I might do some push-ups, some sit-ups, a little bit of exercise. And then I'll go to my desk. And one of the first things I do, and most people don't say don't do this, but I will see what's going on in the world. I'll go to CNN or some other websites just to see what's going on. And here's the reason for that. It's, you know, I talk to so many wide array of people. And, you know, I always like to have the position of people respecting you and your intelligence. And the last thing I want to do is go and talk with someone and they say, man, did you hear what happened with this? And I look at them and say, well, what's that? It's just a terrible position to be in. So I like to understand what's going on in the world, good or bad, just to be able to have a conversation uh, people. And then typically by about nine, I'll get on with my admin and her job is to keep me organized. I got her working on something. We're expanding into Amazon UK and Amazon Europe. Nice. And I said, okay, I need you to go research the process and let me know what we need to do. And she came back with a bunch of websites for me to go read. Oh, I found all these websites you can take a look at. I said, uh, what do you think I got you for? <laughs> if I was going to do that, I could have did that myself. I said, no, your job is to go learn the process. And then you come and tell me what we're doing next. Even this morning, uh, she was asking me, you know, they're asking us to tell them what the commodity is. I said, I don't even understand what that is. I said, here's what we're selling. You go find out what commodity we need to be in. <laughs> so, so my morning job is to then give her what she needs to do. Hmm. Once she does that, then I'll go into, you know, I might have a call schedule. Usually I try to schedule a call for either 10 or 2 p.m. for a coaching call, right? So I may do a coaching call with someone or maybe it's reaching out to a customer because I like to call my customers and just say hello every once in a while. So I'll reach out and, and do that kind of stuff. Then I might go into looking at doing some research. I love researching things. Let me see if I can find some ideas. And the other thing that I do that, that I'm really consistent on is on Fridays. Every Friday, I go to Starbucks, every single Friday. And then what I do there, I call it Creative Fridays. Hmm. And all I do is I'll map something out. 
I will write a sales letter. I will um, study a course that I just purchased. That's all I do at Starbucks. It's no other work but creative stuff. And every single Friday for the last two years, I've done that. And I can't tell you something that's probably the most powerful thing than that. I'm now actually thinking of doing Creative Wednesdays and Creative Fridays has been so darn good. And it works. I think one of the things that you just said was really, really important. And I wanted to, to reiterate that. You're pretty much saying that you're delegating responsibility and you're standing as a boss in that situation. And I think a lot of people, they lose that aspect of, okay, this person came back to me or they can't get it done. I'm going to do it myself. But then you're like, okay, look, this is what I really want. And then you tell them again exactly what you want because, again, you're delegating the job that you don't want to do so you can keep yeah. on scaling. And yeah. I think that's hell of important and, I mean, a real key thing to success. They will never, ever be as good as you. And you got to get over that. And that's why a lot of people say, I'd just rather do it myself. It took a long time to accept that and figure that out. So, A, they're never going to do it as good as you. They're never going to do it as fast as you. And they're never going to, well, most will never care as much as you are. But if they can get 90% of it done, okay, that's a beautiful thing. So I just let them go do that. The other thing is I tell them I'm paying you to think. Hmm. If we're on a project and you're stuck and I'm on a coaching call. Sometimes a coaching call for me could be two hours. So if I'm 10 minutes in and you get stuck and the answer is you just sit there and wait for two hours for me to be done, you've just wasted a lot of time. So I give them the power to make decisions. And I always say, I would rather you make a decision and be wrong than sit there and be right. Make the decision. And I get that out of 100 decisions you make, 10% of them you're going to be wrong on. But the other 90%, that you're going to be right on saves me a heck of a lot of time. So I let them make that decision and, and let them be wrong. Hmm. I'm just, this is the first time I didn't have like pen and paper and I'm just sitting here like, damn, <laughs> but I got the recording. I got the recording. Yeah, so yeah. I, I could definitely go back to it. So what do you see yourself and your company 20 years from now? So good question. One, I got to get me out of the business. So, so the brand mm -hmm. uh, is me because I don't think in 20 years I'll be, in my 60s, I don't think someone wants to buy an internet marketing course from an old 60-year-old guy. <laughs> so we're going to have to rebrand the organization. And so what I'm going to start doing is we'll have different products, but I'll have different people creating those products. And then the second piece is, which we're relaunching now, I was telling you, is we're re relaunching our digital agency, focusing on things like marketing automation as well as uh, funnel design. Because that's the future. It was also the past. I mean, we were doing it, but in different ways. Now it's just automated. But the thing is, the business owners don't understand that. And with the speed of the internet and the things that we can do on the internet, and with now you've got these millennials that are going to be in 20 years, they're going to be 40 and 50. Those guys have a totally different buying process than people from 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be offering those kinds of solutions. So we'll have a brick and mortar type of business and we'll also have our online digital business as well. And on Amazon, the goal then is to have five, 600, a thousand products uh, selling on Amazon. Nice. Nice. But so about your comment about the 60 year old and I'm thinking like who's in the market that's in that age range. I mean, Grant Cardone is like 60 plus, right? Yeah. And he's still a 10 X factor guy. I mean, he's still doing it. So I don't think it would be any reason why if you wanted to stay in that space, you couldn't, unless you just think that the demographic is going to shift that drastically in the next 20 years. 
Well, Grant is just a beast and he's got such a massive infrastructure and team. But guess what? If Grant Cardone got hit by a bus tomorrow, mm. um, that business still goes on. Yeah. He's got 80 salespeople who are managing the calls. He's got advertising teams who are managing the marketing. He's just the MC at his 10X event. So um, you get rid of Grant Cardone, that business still goes. And that's where I need to be the way his business model is. Something, you know, I can go on vacation for a month. Who cares? Hmm. And business is still going smooth. Hmm. Hmm. What's some tools that you would not be able to do your business without? Ooh, there's a few of them. One is Keyword Researcher Pro. Uh, matter of fact, right before this podcast, I was on there. It's basically a keyword research tool that searches the Google Suggest. Mm-hmm. Other tools that I use a lot. Now, this is only for e-commerce stuff, but I use ShipStation. Okay. So if I get an order, a physical order that I have to fulfill, which you probably only do, you know, five to 10 of those a week, but from Amazon or from Walmart, because we're also on walmart.com. Nice. So the order will come in. And ShipStation gets the order and it shows me what the product is. And all I need to do is click on the person's name and click the print button. It prints the label and it then goes into Walmart and says product was shipped. Here's the tracking ID. Nice. So it's full automation. Oh, full automation. I mean, each order takes me all of about 30 seconds to fulfill. Nice. Whereas if I did not have that thing, oh my God, you're talking 20 minutes per order. For e-commerce, if anyone's doing any form of e-commerce or shipping out products, that's the best tool to have. ClickFunnels is one that I use quite often. I would then say the number one would be AWeber because that's my email list. You take AWeber out and I'm in trouble. Break down AWeber a little bit because I think a lot of people, they're, they're familiar with the more of the commercial brands like the Constant Contacts, the MailChimps. And, you know, I love MailChimp for, for different reasons, but I mean, why would you pick AWeber over per se MailChimp? So MailChimp, Constant Contact, they're not internet marketer friendly. I was rejected by Constant Contact. I think I sent one email and they were like, "Mm -mm, sorry, (laughs) you're gone. (laughs) So um, MailChimp, I never even tried. So those companies are really B2B friendly. They're looking for the restaurants and the carpet cleaners and those kinds of people for their platforms for several reasons. One, they can charge more. Hmm. And two, those people stick around a whole lot longer anyway. Hmm. So kudos to them. AWeber is a little bit more uh, internet marketing friendly, although they have some issues in terms of whether A, you may have some deliverability issues sometimes, Hmm. and B, they're now starting to look at metrics and saying your open rates are too low or your open rates are this. So there's a couple issues that you'll have with AWeber. But you got to have some form of an email communication tool. Now, I also have used one shopping cart, which is okay, then Active Campaign, as well as Infusionsoft mm-hmm. for email marketing as well. So I've used them all, but AWeber is the one I use the most. Got it, got it. And so, I mean, you're a big e-com guy, right? I mean, obviously, you're on Amazon. Did you ever use any Shopify platform at all? Matter of fact, I just set up Shopify yesterday. Okay. And the only reason I'm using Shopify for this particular product is because we're going to run Facebook advertising. Hmm. And Shopify and Facebook have really deep integration. Like you, you can tell when someone add the cart, you can tell when someone started to check out but didn't finish. Mm-hmm. And then you could rerun ads to those people. Whereas when shopping cart, which is what I primarily use as a shopping cart for the last 15, 20 years, 
they have zero integration <laughs> with Facebook. So for this particular one, I'm going to be using Shopify for it. Hmm. Wow. What final words of wisdom do you have for anybody that's coming up behind you, following your footsteps that, you know, following you as a leader moving forward? couple things. Everything you want to do, someone's already done it. So you have two choices. You can go figure it out on your own, or you can shortcut the process by asking for help. That's the first thing I would say. Um, like I said, everything if I had to do over, the first thing I would do is I'd find somebody who's already doing it. Number one, that saves you so much time. Number two, only sell what's already making money. If you have no evidence that somebody is making money, why do you want to be the one to test that market? Unless it's something you're really, really passionate about. You're really passionate about it. You feel that I'm going to stick with it. I know it. And yes. But in general, find something that's already making money. The other thing that I like is I like things that people are already looking for. Mm -hmm. It's much easier for me to go to the marketplace and say, hey, you were looking for red widgets. I got red widgets. Versus, hey, I got green widgets. Does anybody need green widgets? Now, I got to push myself into the marketplace versus the marketplace is pulling me in. I'd rather be pulled in than me pushing myself so, okay. uh, on a marketplace. So you talk about the but, uh, standard supply and demand. Absolutely. And it's not only just supply and demand, but they've got to be looking for it. If they're not looking for it, it's, it's harder to sell. Got it. The next thing is in anything that... I don't know, there's somebody who does. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say to me, oh, I can't do this, I don't know that, or I don't know how. What do you mean you don't know? Like, let's look at building a membership site. Someone says, oh, I don't know how to build a membership site. Why do you need to know how to build a membership site to have a membership site? The only thing you need to know is the outcome. And the outcome is, I need a membership site that looks like that membership site. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go to Upwork or Fiverr or Guru.com. And I'm going to say, hey, I'm looking for a membership site. Here's the one I want to copy. How long will it take you to do it? Hmm. And when the guy calls me up and says, well, do you want me to use, you know, Wishlist or a member or some other thing? You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, man, did you just curse me out? What did you just say to me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand what you just asked me. I'm going to say, I don't care how you get there. All I need is I need people to put in a username and a password. And then when they log in, they can see the material that's private protected. Hmm. However you get there is your business. Let me know when it's done. <laughs> so all I need to know is the outcome. Everything else in between, I don't care about. And it makes no sense for me to learn. it. Got it. So people, if you follow those principles, and literally those are the principles that I live my business by. I find what's already selling. If I don't know how to do it, I find someone who does. And all I need to know is the outcome. And then you live your life by those principles. Man, can you get to success much faster? Hmm. Hmm. Hell of a golden nugget, man. <laughs> do you think membership sites are still valuable in today's market? 100%. Okay. Now, the key is you got to do them right. And, you know, you start with a low price, then you have your upsells. Hmm. But if you have a price that is... You know, like there was some site I was paying them nine bucks a month and I was with them for probably eight years and I never logged in. <laughs> the price was so cheap. I'm like, you know, the one time I'm going to need it, it's going to be worth it. So have a low price product like that. And then think of what's my next price point and then what's my highest price point. Uh, people like the sense of belonging, the sense of community. 
So when you create one, create one that gives them that sense of belonging. You belong to something. If you ever study Russell Brunson and what he's done with ClickFunnels, he didn't sell a funnel builder. At the end of the day, what is a funnel builder? It's a website building tool. That's all it is. And it has email capabilities, right? So. Yeah. And the only thing ClickFunnels did is you can change the order of the pages and it automatically changes the links. Or I can build a funnel using front page if I wanted to. <laughs> all I got to do is put the links. Yeah. But how did he sell $100 million a year worth of that thing? He created the sense of community around him. So he built a tribe. He built a tribe. Yes. So um, membership sites are still really, really good. Cool. Cool. All right. So I got a bonus question for you. Okay. If you could spend 24 hours with anybody dead or alive, who would it be and why? Wow. Great question. 24 hours with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Could it be more than one? Well, let's start with the primary first. This is your show today, so if you want to list seven people, I'm all ears, man. Man. See, the second one is a good friend, so I hate for him to see this and see he ain't number one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I got to give the two. So the first one, I would love to go to Russell Brunson's office just for a day Hmm. and just be a fly on the wall and just watch What's your morning routine like? What do you do? What's next? What's the other? The second one, same exact thing, is my boy Anik Singal. Mm. You know, Anik is a beast. And so I would just love to see how he organizes, how he works with this team, what does he get them to do, and how they interact with him, and just study that. Mm. Now, notice most people would have said, oh, I want to work with so-and-so so they can show me their products. Product don't matter. If I understand the process, I could put any product in the process. Yeah, I see you pick two titans, right? Absolutely, because they they're already doing it. Yeah, yeah, they're doing it well. Yeah, and once you get it down, I could move. They put their pants on the same way I do in the morning. Guess what? If I knew what Richard Branson does every day, I could duplicate it. I just don't know what he does. Hmm. So I would rather just have two people that I can see the processes and, and how they think. And then learn. And even though I may never get to, I may only get to 50% of who they are and what they do. But that 50% is enough. You know, so those, those are my top. It's definitely ironic that because, I mean, I've asked that question, you know, a handful of times on this podcast. And almost nine out of ten times, there's always somebody that's passed away. And you really? pick two people that are alive and active and well today <laughs> that are yeah. like, yeah. it's just a different because- viewpoint. Let's say if I were to pick someone like who wrote the Napoleon Hill, he oh, wrote, yeah. you know, yeah. thinking grow rich. Yeah. Would love to sit and talk with the guy. But guess what? He died broke. Right. And yep. Your mindset and the thinking is wonderful, but you were looking at that from what was happening 50, 60, 70 years ago. Hmm. Why not study the guys who's using the technology that I'm going to turn around and want to use tomorrow. Hmm. <laughs> I want to see nice. Russell. How are you really using click funnels? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. that'll be interesting. <laughs> exactly. Or so-and-so, how are you really using Facebook ads? If I pick someone who's died, Gary Halbert, for example, we'd love to talk to Gary Halbert, but poor Gary, I mean, you're, there's nothing he could teach me that I can, well, I mean, finding sales copy. Yes. But looking at today's technology, he wouldn't be able to help me. Hmm. So guess what that would mean? I would still need another layer of a person to talk to. Nice. 
Yeah, yeah. it's crazy, man. That's just the way you process things. You're processing it in a system itself. You're just saying, okay, I want to speak to this person because I'm missing this piece of nugget, and I put this nugget with this nugget and put them together, and then execute and put everybody else on the treadmill to build the revenue that I need. Right? So, dude, cost benefit analysis. <laughs> <laughs> when I tell you that econ class or major was the best thing that ever, it taught me how to think and make decisions. <laughs> Every decision you make has to have a very strategic reason why. I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I had to go to the UPS store to send some products that were going to Amazon. And I had to do it that day. Mm-hmm. And then I had to go somewhere else. But it was four o'clock. And I said, okay, if I go to the mailbox first, and if I come that way, I'm going to be stuck in traffic. But if I go to the UPS mm-hmm. first, which making that left out of my street is going to be a nightmare. But to get to the mailbox, I'm going against the traffic. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to the UPS store first. So I went to the UPS store first. Now making that left took me you know, five minutes to make that left because it was a lot of traffic. Coming out the UPS store to the mailbox, which is about three to five miles, it was bumper to bumper traffic the whole way. So my trip took me about, 10 minutes to do. Had I gone the other way, it would have been an hour, hour and a half. Wow. So I did a cost-benefit analysis on whether I should go to the UPS store first or go to the mailbox first. Hmm. It's ingrained in your DNA at this point. Oh, it is. It is. Hmm. Everything I do is cost-benefit analysis. Everything. Yeah. Well, I definitely appreciate you just coming on the show. I mean, I feel like I should cut this show up into like smaller segments and deliver them piece by piece <laughs> over a period of time. But, you know, obviously I'm just going to drop the whole thing and, and let people kind of take it all in and listen to it over and over again. Cause I mean, when I'm really thinking, I'm recapping in my head, all the different elements of the gifts that you gave today. I definitely appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Definitely. man. So, that's the end of that podcast. And then we would usually what I do is just kind of like the secondary spinoff podcast. And I kind of flip the microphone to you. And obviously I don't even know what questions you would even have for me. Right. Yeah. But I would just say, Hey, you know, you never know. So it's up to you. Just ask me whatever you want to ask me. Okay, cool. So it's my turn to grill you now. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you're doing a lot of things with local businesses and clients. So I'm getting right. back into that game. Mm-hmm. We've done a lot of grassroots things. Um, Now we're going to be doing a lot of paid traffic things as well. And the grassroots stuff works amazingly well, Um, but it takes work, you know, and it's hard to automate grassroots. Is there anything that you've done on the marketing or paid side for finding local clients? I think the biggest thing that I've done to find clients is making connections with them. And and I I know you understand that philosophy. So I'm not just gonna say like friendships, but when I'm sitting down with them, they know that I'm engaged and I'm giving them my all because I'm passionate about what I'm doing. And I think that's giving me the most return that I could possibly ever have versus the upsells and the side sells and the down sells. You kind of get sales here and there, but I have clients that I've been with for 10 years because I've been dedicated and I understand their business almost as good as they are. Yeah. Do you focus in a particular niche or are you doing different types of uh, businesses? I'm doing different types of businesses. So I have one, it's Dr. B. He's actually, his episode is episode three that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And I've been dealing with them from the time they essentially started their medical practice, grew the medical practice, and they had inflation, deflation. And he's kind of changed the values, the principles of his office. And now he's kind of going into the space of becoming a brand. Yeah. 
So it gave me opportunity that I've been with them for so long that the opportunity to say, okay, I understand what you're trying to do. Let me help you get from point A to point B. Yeah. And this question, I kind of know the answer to, but I like to get different uh, perspectives, right? Okay. So when you're talking with them, what do you feel? What, what are you finding they need? What's the problem oh, they're, they're really solving? And, I, and for me, what I've seen, it's the, the wanting to deliver something and they're getting excited about it and then they start to try and then they automatically fail because they don't have the line of the two points. They just think it's just, you know, kind of like a, like if I'm here and I just want to be in New York, I just pop up in New York, but there's steps that I have to get in my car. I have to get in the parking lot. I have to go into the airport. I have to get a ticket. All those parts in the middle yep. are lost in the translation. And they just literally want to go from being in their living room and then being in the New York skyscraper the next day. And it's kind of like, you have to kind of bring them back to earth. A lot of times like, okay, everything you're doing is great. I'm not saying what you're doing is wrong but there's a micro steps that are in between step A and step B that you don't even, even know exist at this point in time yet. Yep. And you, are you finding the same thing that, that I found is for me, the best clients were the ones that were doing something, but doing it wrong. Oh, definitely. I, I love clients that they're not scared to press the button. They're not scared to do something. And then you just give them a little bit of insight and they'll make the changes. And even they'll even not necessarily bark back, but they'll, fight back and I did some reaches and I did this and I love that because they're taking the extra step to understand what we do and who we are versus just making general statements about something they have no idea about. Yeah, I'll tell you one of the things that we're we're doing as we relaunch our digital agency is if they are not marketing already, I'm not taking them on. Okay. And the reason is if they're not marketing, there's a reason why. You know, you've been in business three, four, five years and you aren't spending any money marketing or doing any marketing activities. That means you don't believe in it. So now here I come, I've got to come and convince you to do something that you weren't doing for years. And then I, I find that's always been too hard. So we're going after people who are marketing, but then looking at, okay, so where are they taking that customer to? And I look at the page. There's no headline on the page. The contact information is 50 you know, pages down. And, and then I'm going to go to those people and say, hey, I see you're doing it. But, you know, if you did it this way, I bet you can double your results. And that person said, oh, really? Why don't you show me? So much easier to get it to get with someone who, who gets it versus someone uh, who doesn't. Now, in terms of people you're working with, are most of them just B2B or are they doing um, e-commerce and things like that. So originally a hundred percent of my clients were B2B structure. Okay. And I'm in that, I'm in the middle of that transition from going to hundred percent B2B to more. So I would say individuals that are more entrepreneurial driven and they're looking for the marketing strategies and they're looking for the masterminds and they're looking for these groups. Because for me, it's just kind of like going chasing after clients is one thing. But if I could help somebody teach them how to fish yep. and potentially if there's an unlimited amount of revenue that you can make from that and courses and online and like you're saying, subscriptions and all these other things come into play versus going after one client. Hopefully you're closing a deal for 10 to 20, $30,000 maybe. And yep. then after that's done, then you're trying to maintain that client when they just spent twenty, thirty thousand dollars They may not want to pay you on a monthly basis to maintain and yeah. to keep guiding them down the other road versus someone that is coming into a situation they want to spend $500 a month or $100 a month, but you can scale that infinitely. Yep. 
And do you find that, are they understanding the language yet? Like I used to talk to people and say autoresponder and they thought I was from Mars. You know, you say SEO and they're like, what, uh, <laughs> what is that? So I think in my case, I think a lot of them have a definition of it, but I wouldn't say it's a clear definition of it. I think they, it's kind of like commercial, right? Whatever they see on television, they get. But we also know that behind television is a lot of other things behind the scenes that we have no idea and, and who's pulling the puppet strings. And I think that's the unfortunate side to them. So they may understand an autoresponder. And then they may ask for something crazy, like, well, I want autoresponder to do this and do that and do that. I'm like, well, that's more of a responsibility of a CRM. Yeah. And then you have to kind of explain what is a CRM versus an autoresponder and how yeah. they do work together, but they get lost in the translation a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And how about for, you know, things like people who are doing e-commerce, for example, if you mm -hmm. run into any of, or just regular business, yeah. what's the percentage do, would you find that are that are looking, they want to actually sell online and take transactions and payments online. What's the percentage you're finding? I would say probably one out of four. And usually when I get around those style people, they're already established to where they're making money in that industry. It's I've never had the opportunity firsthand to say I started a brand new e-commerce store, except for my own and through third party, like, you know, like I was a vendor for some other agencies. Yeah. And these other agencies will be like, hey, we need a website. Okay. I'm like, what kind of website do you need? And they were like, oh, we need it to be a shopping cart. And I'm like, okay, what kind of shopping cart do you need? What kind of products are you selling? And then we kind of just build that out. But it wasn't directly through my leads. It was kind of a secondhand, hey, we don't know how to do it. We need your help to get it done. Yeah. So when you do get that client, so mm -hmm. you met with the client, and are most of your clients local or are you doing national type clients? I would say they're all over the place, but the, the, the core ones that I work with are local. And so you're meeting with them one-on-one, -on -one, face to face with each one. I would say a small amount of them, yes. Like okay. the, the, the ones that I'm not going to say that have been deemed value-wise, but the ones that that have projects that are not a 30-day project, more so a 12-month project. I'm meeting with them on a regular basis to kind of keep them on track because gotcha. a lot of ideas come into their mind and they want to go left and go right. Gotcha. You got that new client, they sign, they send you the check. What then becomes the biggest headache for you? After they sign the check, the biggest headache. That's an interesting question. That's a really interesting question. I think biggest headache is not necessarily customer service, but it's managing the responsibility of, of the understanding of the timeline. Mm -hmm. A lot of clients, we would have a timeline designated and 30 days into the timeline, new features, new services will yeah. constantly pop up. And I'm like, okay, you can do this all day, every day, but you're talking about adding on an additional 60 days. It's another yeah. the road. So I think that's the biggest hurdle is just kind of delegating and letting them understand that we can do this, but this needs to be done first. And I have one client that's like that right now. I'm dealing with a website. Like, okay, we need to focus on the website. All these other things will come, but we got to get this website knocked out. This is a pretty big website. We got to get the website done. And then we're like, into podcasts, into marketing. And I'm like, well, we don't have a solid core yet. <laughs> like, yeah. let's get the website done first. Yeah. Setting expectations was our biggest challenge. And so we've learned that we were very, we got to the point where we were very clear. You're getting X, you're getting Y, and you're getting Z. And you're not getting A, B, and C. So it wasn't not only what you were getting, but also what is not included. And when we started doing that, my, couldn't it change things for us.
<laughs> because in their mind, if you sell them a website, they've got an idea of what a website is in their mind. Yeah. And that website is A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z, L, M, N, O, P, everything. Mm-hmm. But in your mind, you're like, no, website is X, Y, Z. And then when you give them X, Y, Z, which is exactly what you're thinking about, and then they say, oh, that's not what it was for me. So, um, and, and feature creep was another one. Which again, when we started spelling everything out, mm-hmm. and the other thing that we did, which is great, was as we spelled everything out, we put a price next to each and every aspect of it, too. Yeah, itemize it out, yep. 100%, yeah, yeah. yeah. So where do you see the future of the digital marketing agency going? Oh, man, I, like, I love that question because, and that's why I think when we had the mastermind group a couple of weeks ago and I was asking everybody, like, is anybody in this space working on voice right now? Yeah. And you, you keep hearing voice and you keep seeing voice. And I think voice is, is much like how Google was when it first came out. It was like, well, well, I don't need to search for anything. I could just, you know, look on a map. I could just go there. I could just call them. I could use the yellow pages. And it's like, where the hell are all those items now? Completely faded to black. And I'm thinking that voice is the next big thing. Because it's integrated into everything. And once you get to the point that we have a lazy society and they don't want to, half the time right now, you don't want to do anything. You just want to wake up and things are being done for you in an automation side of things. So if you can then do voice commands and have things execute throughout your day on schedule, it's a goldmine. Now, is that for the end user or is that in terms of the business? How can a local attorney or some local business capitalize on that and make money. Oh my God. I mean, just think about it from this, the way I use them right now. So I wake up in the morning and I'll tell her to good morning. And by telling her good morning, she'll give me anything that I designated that I want, whether that's news reports, whether that's playing a podcast, whether that's playing music. And then I can say, Hey, take a note. And then when I get in my car, it's there as well. I haven't touched anything. If I forgot my notebook, oh, shit, I forgot my notebook. I forgot my laptop. Oh, I forgot my laptop. But this is kind of like the cloud ambience of me talking to this artificially intelligent being that's not there but there at all times. And it gives me opportunity to continuously move all my content and data, all my tasks, all my updates with me no matter where I am. So think of it from a lawyer standpoint. If I'm a lawyer and I'm looking for documents, I have to physically look for documents when it already that this computer system could have a reference point to all the documents. And you could just say, hey, I'm looking for Jane Doe, Mm -hmm. case number 25. Pull me the intro, read it to me, and you're in your car. Pull me the the transcription from the court report. Pull me the transcription from the parking ticket. And then what, it'll read it for you? That's what I'm saying. It is at the point now to where if you say her and you put notes in there, she'll read every single thing on them. So wow. it, gives, it gives you opportunity to, if you start really diving into that space and developing in, in the code for that. So hold, imagine if, if Google opened up to where you can access your Google Drive docs through Google Doc. Yeah. It's a whole nother thing. Imagine doing Excel spreadsheets while you're driving. And it's not necessarily saying, I want to go and column this. I'm telling, hey, I need a script that will take everything in the first column, add it to the second column, and end up in the third column. That's usually what Excel is. Excel is, is usually equations yeah. of different things, but if you can say it verbally and you're driving and it's being done, well, that's a whole nother ball game. That's half, your, half the accountants and CPAs that I know, that's all they do for eight hours is they dive wow. into Excel. So if you have opportunity while you're driving to work to have this Excel shit spreadsheet pre-prepped for you before you get there, yeah. it's half the battle. So imagine having, you know, 
a marketing voice. It, it just knows how to execute marketing tasks. Oh my God. Send out this email, yep. do this, yep. you know, mm-hmm. do that and other thing. And verbally follow up. And such a, you know, copy. So imagine having that system in place to where, oh, these emails came in. This is what the algorithm is saying that 20% of these people don't like this. Then you say, hey, change this one headline. Yeah. You're verbally saying it and then resend the email. And you, that's the command. You say, say it's resend and she sends the email. You didn't touch nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're close. I think that's, that's where would one of us in this marketing space that we're in, somebody's going to either wake up one day and say, okay, I love marketing, but I'm going to marry myself a developer team. Yeah. And we're going to merge the two together. And we're going to come out with some kind of software, some kind of integration that does what marketers tend to do on the physical side through voice. How about other platforms? Wix, Squarespace, um, those types of sites. What's your thoughts on those? I love them. I hate them at the same time because I'm I'm a real big guy that believes in technology and change and following the trends. Yeah. I, I still use WordPress for nine out of 10 of my sites, unless it's um like a Shopify storefront, which obviously it's designated for that build out. But I think the Wix platform is interesting. I had one client that had a shopping store built in Wix and I was just kind of like, it was so mind boggling. Like why the hell would you build a shopping cart in Wix? And yes, you can customize it, but where's all the attachments and integrations and the APIs and some yeah. of the things are there, but you don't have full autonomy and full control over these environments. And it's more so going back to the lazy mentality of society today to where they want to click it and make it happen. And the costs are so much cheaper than hiring a consultant or hiring a web developer that they rather just pay monthly and deal with the support team of Wix and get some kind of results. Yep. I've looked at some of those platforms and, and Wix and Squarespace I just find them challenging for a lot of different reasons. Part of it is what you're saying. Uh, the other part is, you know, you don't own nothing. Yeah. If they want to shut you off mm-hmm. <laughs> or they have a DDoS attack, you're screwed. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing with Shopify as well too, right? Shopify is kind of, it's a standalone platform. Not only that, here's the other issue with platform that most people don't even realize. Shopify sites are hosted on, I think, one of only two or three IP addresses. Yes, Definitely. So yep. <laughs> guess what that means? All your data is easy to find your store. That's oh, number yeah. one. Yeah. Um, secondly is there are tools that you can plug into that people can see your store is doing a million dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what next person is going to do? They're going to copy it. Copy it. Copy the products. Copy the copy. Yep. hundred percent. So you build this wonderful site and everything. Although, you know, I love the fact that the deep integration, but you're, you're also asking for an exposure that, you know, in marketing, we almost say until someone copies you, you haven't made it. So you, that's expected already, let alone you're the one now handing them the information on a silver platter. Do you think that's the same thing with comes down to Amazon? So in ha- Amazon, yes, no. They won't know exactly what you're doing, but it's very easy to find a successful product. That's also the reason why on Amazon, like, um, an admin I was going to hire to handle some of our Amazon projects. She was going to do everything except submitting the products to Amazon. Mm. I was going to do that myself because my feeling was like, heck, I want her to log into the account and see everything. It would take her 20 minutes to duplicate 100% of everything we've ever done. Mm. It's just that easy. So has that I, ever happened though? firsthand? Oh yeah. I've had. So one of the things that you can do on Amazon is let's say you're selling, you know, this little widget here. Mm. 
right? Somebody can go into Amazon and they can click on this product and it says create a new listing. So their listing is the exact same as yours, same descriptions and everything because it took everything from your listing. Hmm. Now what happens is you and that person are fighting for the buy box. Gotcha. And usually that buy box is price. So whoever's going to be the cheapest or has the most conversions, that's who Amazon is going to show. Because if there's a Louis Vuitton purse, there's only one Louis Vuitton purse. So Amazon doesn't want 15,000 um, listings for a Louis Vuitton purse. They want just one. Hmm. Some people will poach on your listing. They'll do that. And then they're selling something else. They don't have a Louis Vuitton purse. They have a Gucci purse. But that person's coming there looking for you, and then they find the Gucci purse mm. instead. So people can do that. But with what we do, which is information marketing, um, the one or two times I've had someone try to do that, all I had to do was send a cease and desist. And I said, listen, I'm just letting you know. My, my content is copywritten. And our product, because I will have the name of our product, I'll say that name is trademarked. Mm -hmm. So you've got 48 hours to cease and desist. Otherwise, I'm going to let Amazon know you're violating our copyrights. And Amazon is serious about that. They'll ban them forever. And I'll say, I'd hate for you to lose your, your, um, your Amazon account over something that could be a mistake. Instantly taken down. But if I was selling a widget like this, wouldn't happen. They would have laughed at me. <laughs> because I don't own that widget. We're all selling somebody else's widget. Gotcha. Nobody owns the patent so, on it. Yeah, so it can happen. Um, I will tell you for websites where we've sold ebooks, mm -hmm. oh, I've had that happen like it was a sport. I had a guy who was an attorney who took one of our ebooks and he was selling it on eBay. Of all people, an attorney who knows better, another example is a guy who took one of our products, he copied my sales letter, and he had um, my testimonials were on his landing page. Yeah, he actually put me out of business, that guy, because he copied everything. And then he launched an affiliate program and had um, thousands of affiliates copying my exact ad word for word. So isn't that kind of like the, the, the dawn of PLR? I mean, essentially, couldn't you have just converted into that model to make that work for you versus against you? So PLR is you're now giving people resale rights mm -hmm. to your content. And I always say this, the people who, who sell and give PLR license to their product are the ones who don't know how to market it. Got it. So if they knew how to market and sell the product, they'd never give 5,000 people a licensing right. Not for the price that they do, which is, you know, yeah. nine bucks, 10 bucks. Yeah, it's crazy. Bucks. Yeah. Um, like we're working on an internet marketing course and I might give uh, PLR rights to it, but it'll be more like a thousand to 2,000. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice. So, and I'm going to, you know, it's going to be real world value and it's going to be the exact, course i'm going to be selling as well so it's not like hey i spent two hours threw something together together and said okay hey guys give me 50 bucks go sell it no this is going to be a high-end course with the webinar with the whole sales funnel kit and caboodle as well nice nice yeah. cool cool well, yeah. cool i definitely appreciate you taking the time man i mean this second podcast turned into a whole nother ball game in itself man it was definitely <laughs> good insight cool cool Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. 
email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss and Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.